You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. Throughout the whole series, I've been using this illustration of shoes. I've been telling you that there are so many different uh, points that can be brought out and things that we can apply to our lives that I've just been saying, it's kind of like I'm just throwing shoes out into the audience and you guys can go ahead and just put on the ones that fit. In other words, take the truths that you hear in the scriptures and kind of wear them, apply them and walk it out, you know? And I told you guys a few weeks ago that I have four pairs of shoes. That's all I own. It's a wonderful thing because it's very systematic and organized. I don't lose them a lot. And so my really comfy shoes I wore recently. Our family went for a day trip to Hershey Park and um, we were going to go to the park on a Tuesday and my buddy Nick Schiano uh, gave me some great advice. He said, actually the night before, if you have tickets for Tuesday, they'll let you in Monday night for a few hours just with your tickets that you already have to kind of do like a preview thing. And so I was like, that's amazing. So thank you, Nick. And also if you need a mortgage or a refinance, see Nick. And so um, he's great. He's the best in the world. But anyway, so uh, as we're in Hershey Park on Monday night, um, my kids go on this one ride. They're like, oh, we want to go on Candemonium. And so they get on the Candemonium ride and Kelly and I are like, oh, we're just going to sit and wait. And as we're waiting, it starts to rain and then it starts to pour and more and more people are coming off the line, but the kids are still on the line. And eventually they come off the line too. And they were the last ones uh, waiting before they shut the ride down, you know? So I know. Can we just all say, oh, can I just, I just need some sympathy on that. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And so we're sitting there and it's pouring. And then we make the decision. We need to run to the car. And when you're in Hershey Park, your car is like six miles from where you are at any given point. And so now we're running, trying to get there. By the time we get to the car, my shoes are soaked. And these are my comfy everyday shoes I was just bragging on in church a few weeks ago, right? And so I get to the hotel and I'm like, I do not want to walk through Hershey Park tomorrow because it's the only pair of shoes I have with me in wet shoes. And so I'm like, hair dryer. So I get the hair dryer, right? And I dry the shoes all out and I'm so excited. They're perfectly dry. I'm feeling with my hand on the inside. Everything's good until I put them on. The heat melted the pad. The, the comfy pad? Yes, say all again for me. I just need that today. I just need it. Thank you. Melted the comfy pad. It, it like broke up all the glue underneath the comfy pad and made it all these like sharp little pieces I was stepping on, right? And so I come home. I'm so upset. I ruined my great shoes. And I kind of thought about our illustration here in this in in the message on, on this book of Acts about how like here we are trying to be a bunch of people who take, take some shoes and put them on every week, you know, apply them to our life, walk it out, live it out. And I just wonder if like 17 weeks ago, 15 weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, maybe you put a pair of shoes on, so to speak, right? You left here and you were like, okay, I'm going to wear these shoes. I'm going to take this truth and apply it to my life. And I'm going to go out there and live this. And then something happened. Maybe you messed it up, right? Maybe you tried to share your faith. It didn't go well. So you're like, I'm taking those shoes off. Never going to put them on again. You know, maybe you, you read in the book of Acts and you saw how God's able to do big things and you began to pray with faith and something didn't quite go your way. And it's like, well, I'm never going to pray like that again. And I just want to say today, maybe we need to put some shoes on again, right? I'm wearing shoes today. I replaced my comfy shoes with Meth's colors. So there you go, just to celebrate an amazing season. And so um, I encourage you guys, if there are some shoes you had worn and you took them off, put them back on and let's get going again. There'll be some shoes you can put on here this morning as well. Uh, in every message so far, we've answered a lot of questions. We've done like four or five questions per message. Today, we get to slow down a little as we close the series out and just answer two questions. And these two questions are incredibly interconnected with one another. And so I pray they encourage you. So the first question we're going to find here, the answer to in this last part of Acts is when the storm is raging, the sky is dark, and all hope is lost, what factor changes everything? There's something that changes everything as we're walking through life. And some of you guys are living this right now, man. Your sky is dark. 
It's like pitch black, no sun, no moon, no stars shining tonight, right? Some of you guys, it's the storm is raging. Some of you guys, all natural hope seems lost. What is the factor that can be at work in our life that changes everything, that can change our perspective, our outlook, our peace, our joy, and sometimes even our outcomes? We're gonna look at that here today. We've hinted at it for a few weeks, and we're gonna do a deep dive today. And the second question is this. How is this factor at play in, our, in my circumstance meant to impact others, okay? Like, so, all right, we're gonna find out the question, the answer to question number one. And the, the answer to question number one isn't just about us. It's meant to impact other people as well. And we're gonna dive into that and see what that looks like. If the answers to these questions or the questions themselves seem a little vague right now, just hang in there. I believe by the time you leave, I pray it'll be crystal clear. But that's where some of us are right now. I know many of you guys, and I know some of the storms raging in your lives right now. I know some of the darkness that surrounds you right now and surrounds us and the situations that we're walking through. I know some of the situations that we have, it just feels like all natural hope is lost. And so what is that factor that can change everything in the midst of it? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you might have some of your own storms going on, some dark nights, right? Uh, maybe you're questioning Jesus and God, and can he help me, and is he really there, and, and does he want me? And we're going to look at all that today, and I just pray that you leave here encouraged and, and maybe having a relationship with him like so, so many of us here do. And so if you remember last week, we ended with Paul waiting to be sent to Rome to stand before Caesar, right? He's been in jail for years now. He's been an amazing witness. He shared his faith. He's been through all kinds of horrible circumstances, and yet he's waiting to go appeal to Caesar. The first eight verses of chapter 27 tell us a bunch of the ports that they went to on their journey to get to Italy. And then in verse nine, it says this, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Now, Paul is basically warning them, like we shouldn't be doing this trip right now. And Luke, if you remember just a minute ago, said that this was after the day of atonement. And he brings that up because it would be a little signal to his listeners of that day. His readers would know exactly what he's talking about. You know, it's signifying a time of year because the Day of Atonement took place between mid-September and mid-October. And so it would be like me signaling you guys saying, hey, around July 4th, you'd know it's summer. Or around Valentine's Day, you'd know it's February. Or around February, you know it's time to save up for my birthday present, right? So you'd be ready, all right? So that's a little signal. And so the whole point of Luke and Paul saying this is it's going into winter season season and we have no business sailing during winter season because that's storm season and we're not going to mess around with that or at least that's what Paul was hoping and so in verse 11 it says but the centurion instead of listening to what Paul said followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship and so the next few verses tell us they sail on Verse 14, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. Just picture this. The men hoisted it aboard and then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Are you picturing that? You know, like they're that desperate. They're literally putting ropes under the ship. Like, I hope this thing holds together. Now, I've been on many boats in my life. My dad owned a boat for most of my life, a speedboat, and we go out there and have all kinds of fun and uh, ski and tube and all that stuff. And I've been in some rough waters. Um, years ago, my, wife, my wife's family, we, we went with like 30 of her extended family on a cruise to like this 
Oh, it was not the Caribbean, not the Mediterranean. Where do we? Oh, that's right, Canada. Who the heck goes on a cruise to Canada, right? One of the worst decisions of our early marriage. But we've been on some rocky waters. The night we were on, one of the nights we were on the cruise, my wife's really rolling back and forth on the bed. I'm like watching this happen, like pinball, you know? And so I've never feared for my life, though, and I've certainly never had to try to keep a ship together with ropes. But this is where they were when the storm is raging. Some of us here in the room. Storm raging right now. What is that factor that changes everything? Let's keep going. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. You've seen those movies, right? When the cargo's going overboard, bad things are happening. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And here we go. Verse 20 is a key verse. You ready? When neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And that's the verse we get our question from, right? When the storm is raging and the sky is dark and all natural hope is lost, what factor changes everything? I think it's interesting that Luke here says, we lost all hope, okay? Now that's interesting. The writer of the book of Acts says, we lost all hope. He doesn't just say the pagan sailors who don't believe in God lost all hope. He says, we lost all hope. So in other words, the writer, the future writer of two books of the Bible is including himself among the crowd that had lost hope. And so just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you've lost some hope, you know, we have some, those that have gone before us who are, you know, giants of the faith who have lost hope at times too. So I think we can find some encouragement there in that. But does that just feel like you right now, man? Just no glimmer of natural hope. It is dark and it is bleak. Let's keep going. Verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now, if I'm on the boat, there's two reasons I want to punch Paul in the face right now, okay? The first one is, is I don't need an I told you so right now. I'm going to die. Just let me die, okay? Secondly, who are you, this man with all this hope when all of us are terrified, right? Isn't that annoying person in your life? They always have hope. It's like, shut up. I don't want hope right now. I just want to be miserable, right? And here's Paul with this hope. But why does he have hope? How can he have hope? He must know something that nobody else knows, right? What, what inside information does Paul have that everybody else is missing? When I was in my teens, about 15, I would guess, my buddy Paul had just gotten his driver's license, and me, him, and two of our, our friends were driving down uh, 25 in North, Northport, just hanging out late one night, and all of a sudden, we see the cop lights going behind us, and I was freaking out, man. I mean, again, it's just like a few of us, and he has his license. We didn't yet. I'm like literally shaking, like, what did we do? We're going to prison. I know. It's just a stop sign, but we're going to, you know, I didn't know what happened or what was going on, but we get pulled over, and the three of us are freaking out, but Paul's in the driver's seat, and he's just like cool as could be he's like turning the music up drumming on his you know steering wheel I, he, I remember this like like it was yesterday he pulls out a packet of skittles he's like anybody want one like I'm like dude this is not a time for skittles like what are you doing right now what do you know that we don't know and what he knew that we didn't know was that his dad was a high-ranking police officer and he had a card in his pocket that identified him as his son right and so that makes a little bit of a difference so what did Paul know that everybody else didn't know here we go verse 23 Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Man, there's a lot to find out 
Lots to discover in that verse. First off, that's how Paul knew they wouldn't be lost because this angel stood beside him and as we'll see in a minute, told him. But I just want to, for a minute, I love the phrase, the God to whom I belong. Like in the storm raging in the bleak sky, isn't it amazing to know that there's a God to whom we belong? My question is, is that what you feel, you know? Like, is that how you feel toward your heavenly father? Like, I belong to him. You know, as, as kids, I think at times we can look up to somebody like that. You know, maybe it was your parent, a dad or a mom. Like, I belong to them. Or a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt or just somebody that, that just was that to you. I belong to them. I remember being a kid and seeing my dad. I'd go to church softball games and, and watch him play and just seeing him hit like a bomb of a home run. Like, I'm not joking. Like, from the, from the home plate, like, onto the, like the roof of a school, you know, just hit these bombs. They're like, I, I belong to him. You know, like, that's my dad, you know. Unfortunately, my kids never got to experience that that. Um, the, the one home run I ever hit in my whole softball career, which has spent about 12 years now, uh, was a race because it started raining after the fourth inning and we had to replay the game. So it was a race from the record book. So I sadly let my children down. But, but I just love that concept that, yes, I belong. I belong. You know, if, whether you're a follower of Jesus here today or not, you can leave here belonging, knowing you belong to him because Jesus got on a cross and died for you and rose from the dead. And I love that Paul says, I don't just belong to him, but I serve him. And the Greek word there for serve is worship. I worship this God. But I love how it says, the angel stood beside him. Just a few weeks ago, we saw a similar phrase. Paul was going through it. He was in prison. And the phrase was, and the Lord stood beside him. I'm so thankful that we get these glimpses. And I'm going to make up a phrase today, if that's okay with everybody. I think I remember learning in preaching school that preachers are allowed to do that once in a while. So I'm going to take a liberty today and make up a phrase. And there's a reason for it. But the, the answer to the question, when the storm is raging and the sky is dark and all natural hope is lost, what factor changes everything? I think of the Lord standing by Paul a few weeks ago. I think of the angel standing before him here. And I think if I could make up a phrase... What changes everything as the storm is raging and the sky is bleak is the with usness of God. The with usness. Doug, why don't you just say the presence of God? Well, a couple reasons. Because first off, when I say presence of God, it's something we've heard a million times before. And secondly, when I say presence of God, I think we all think of something maybe a little bit different. And maybe some of us get really super spiritual that we miss the relevance in the day-to-day of God with us. And so what changes everything? It's the with usness of God. In fact, we were told a thousand years or so before Paul would go through this through a prophet that Jesus would be called something, be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what factor changes it all? Your outlook, your joy level, your peace level, sometimes your outcome, the with usness of God as the storm is raging. And, and I need you to see something right here, and this is so important, okay? I need you to see that the with usness of God in Paul's situation does not keep him from hard circumstances. That's really important. You're like, thanks for telling me. Like, I'm really encouraged in church today. Thanks for telling me I'm still going to go through stuff. The reason I'm telling you that is because I think the number one thing that makes us think God isn't with us is hard, hard and difficult circumstances, right? I think we start to get in our own head. He's not with me. He doesn't like me. He doesn't want me. My sin's catching up with me. I'm finally getting punished. He finally has lost his patience. I'm not called. I'm not wanted. I'm not desired. There's no purpose. But we see amazing purpose that Paul is walking in, and yet he's going through it, isn't he? He's going through worse things than probably all of us have combined. 
And yet, the angel stood with him. The Lord stood with him. Verse 24, the the angel didn't just stand there. He said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So the angel tells Paul, you're going to see Caesar. And secondly, everybody's going to be all right here on the boat. The withlessness of God. So powerful. He's with you. He's walking with you. He's got you. doesn't mean you won't go through hard stuff, but he's got you. He's not punishing you. One person was punished for your sin. His name is Jesus. You don't get punished for your sin, right? Sometimes we walk through discipline because like good parents, God disciplines us when we need it to draw us close to him and near to him. We're gonna get into that in a couple weeks actually. But you don't get punished because Jesus was punished in your place. Verse 25, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Paul, like God spoke to him, this is what's gonna happen. You guys are gonna run aground on an island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They then measure the water and see they're getting closer and closer to the land. Verse 29, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Verse 31, then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Paul then encourages them to eat. And in verse 20, or 34, it says, Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. And I always take that verse very personally. But verse 35, uh, after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And then he broke it and began to eat. Look, Paul's gone through some horrible, horrible stuff. But we're seeing the withlessness of God protecting him and his team, getting them where they got to go still. Um, giving them just peace and confidence and the ability to even for Paul to point others to the hope of God, right? So powerful. And so if your sky is dark right now, like I'm talking the darkest sky you've ever seen, if your natural hope is lost and gone, we have to cling to the withlessness of God. And I've been just praying today that if this is the worst message I've ever preached in my life, that you would still leave here convinced of the withlessness of God. That it would just be that much him doing it. You know, because I can get up here and preach all day and you still might not believe me. But man, that he would just show himself to you. That he would, like Paul, stand by you. And his Holy Spirit is in us. So he literally is always with us. But that it would be sensed and felt and appreciated and that we believe it and know it and not allow anything to rob it just like Paul allows to happen in his life. Verse 36, they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Say 276. So I don't know what kind of boat you were picturing, but when I've pictured this story in the past, I didn't picture that big a boat. You know, like maybe like a smallish boat, a little party boat, 30 to 50, got a little DJ in the corner, right? Like, no, this was a huge ship that was being decimated. The next couple of verses, they find a bay. They had a beach that they wanted to get to, and it says in verse 41, but the ship, was uh, stuck, or excuse me, struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Maybe some of you guys are like, man, I know that pounding of the surf. That's pounding me right now. It's it's right where I am. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. The withlessness of God. God's working. God's with Paul, but he's getting pounded. Yeah, sometimes we get pounded, but he's with us. 
He gives us what we need to keep going. He ordered those who, who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And this way, everyone reached land safely. And what's so cool is even Jack made it to shore because there was enough room on the door. So, no, no, that's a different story. Sorry, guys, I got confused there. Verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. Everybody say Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. There was a hockey team there. I don't even know what's going on. But they built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Listen, all right, you got to just picture this, everybody. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. Guys, I'm just telling you, I'm done. Like, I'm out, okay? If I'm standing there and there's a snake hanging from my hand, I'm just like, Lord, let this thing just have its way, and I'm done. I'm coming to see you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Verse 4, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. God's at work, the withlessness of God. He's got a plan. He's got a mission. He's going to keep Paul going until that mission is complete. Verse 6, the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a God. So a minute ago, he's a great sinner who's getting punished and will die because of his sin. And now he's God, apparently, according to these people. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius. Everybody say Publius. That's going to be important in a minute. The chief official of the island, he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed. Okay, you're picturing this? So Publius' father, sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. So the withlessness of God has been there for Paul to stay strengthened, encouraged, and kept together. Right? He's been comforted. He's had the Lord stand by him, an angel stand by him. He's been told great words of comfort. But now we see it going past Paul, right? Paul was receiving, but now it's going past Paul. And I've been telling you guys the last few weeks, because it's been a theme in the last few chapters, that there is just something so special and unique that God can do through us right in the middle of the dark night and the raging sea. Well, like, like, like as we're going through that, I'm just telling you, I've just seen it so many times in my life and we see it very clearly here in this story. I've seen it so many times where when we can be comforted enough and held together enough to the degree that God can not only give us what we need but work through us, it is just so powerful and unlike any other time in our lives. I would say, I think that God can work sometimes more powerfully in those dark, awful storms than he can through us after the miracle's taken place. It's just special. I think our eyes are on Paul here. And listen, through the book of Acts, we've seen Paul do a lot of miracles. God's done great things. But what keeps bringing me back in awe at this story is all he's going through and he's still close to Jesus. All he's going through and he's still got a heart for others. Question number one, the withlessness of God is our hope and our everything in the storm and the dark night, and when all hope is lost. But, question two, how is the withlessness of God at play in my circumstance meant to impact others? Listen to me. God's not just with you for you. Right? What's my made-up word today? The with-usness of God, not the with-me-ness of God. Right? Emmanuel, God with us, not just with me. And so God is with you, yes, for you. Yes, he wants you to be comforted, provided for. He wants to show up. But he wants to also do amazing things through you. 
Imagine if in the middle of your storm and imprisonment, he was able to help you comfort others because the truth is there are people in our lives and the night is dark for them too. And the storm is raging for them too. And all natural hope is lost. So Publius's father-in-law is healed or father, I can't remember which it was at the moment, but either way, we're glad he's healed. Verse nine, when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So everybody's like, hey man, God just did something crazy over here in Publius's family. And so people start coming and God is moving mightily. God so clearly had a plan here. And what amazes me about Paul here, he's able to stay open to God using him even with all he's going through. You know, I've gone through half of what Paul's gone through at times in my life. Probably not even half. Let me go back to like a tenth, right, of what Paul's gone through. And I'm no good to anybody because all I can do is think about my pain and my problem. And here's Paul just going, oh, you got more sick people? Bring them on. Let's, Lord's going to move, right? He's still in touch with the Lord like that. It's incredible. Paul's ministry here, this is going to challenge somebody. I'm going to throw a shoe out right now. Not the point of the message, but I got to throw a shoe out. You ready? Paul's ministry here on this island so far was to Publius and his dad, right? Remember before I said Publius is going to be an important name. Do you know who Publius was? Publius worked for Rome. He was the Roman officer over the island of Malta, which means if Paul's going to stand before Caesar to stand trial and appeal his case, Caesar has the right and the ability to keep him in prison and or kill him. So potentially, anyone working for Caesar could be Paul's who? Enemy, right? And here's Paul going, hello, Mr. Roman officer of Malta. I would be happy to minister to you and your family. I think it takes the withlessness of God to create that kind of compassion in us when we think about our enemy. So I want you to think about an enemy for a minute, okay? You can't all picture me. Come on, I'm not, you know, all right. Just, just picture for a minute, who is that person in your life? Who's that enemy? Like imagine them coming to you this week and saying, hey, my dad's sick. My loved one's sick. My so-and-so's hurting. Would you pray for them? Would we do it? See, I think it's the withlessness of God that enables that kind of thing. That's why closeness with him matters so much, right in the middle of our storm. Right in the middle of our worst. I, I talked with a friend this week who's just going through some really horrible things. And he just made the statement like, I, I, just, I just don't know how I keep going with God when I'm going through all this. And I kind of looked back lovingly and just said, how are you going to not go through all this with God? Like you're going to go through stuff with him or without him. I want to go through it with him. And it's amazing what he can do as I go through it with him. Verse 10. They honored us in many ways, talking about the people of Malta. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. And so God's now continuing to provide for Paul, even through the most unexpected means, right? The island of Malta has continued to finance his trip to get where it needs to go. Verse 11, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. So this is interesting. God's provided ship for Paul and his people to keep going has the false gods, Castor and Pollux, carved into the ship. And what's funny is, is the pagans believe that Castor and Pollux, their job was to protect sailors, which is what the withlessness of God has been doing throughout this whole story, rescuing this, this whole crew time and time again. Tom Constable said this, I can imagine Paul saying to Luke as they got ready to board the ship, we have a better protector than the twin brothers. Verse 12, we put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium, 
The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Petula. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. I love that phrase. If I ever get to go to Italy, just as we're like coming up toward Rome, I'm going to stop my, everyone with me and say, and so we came to Rome. And I'll video you for you and you guys can watch it back. It'll be great. Verse 15, the brothers and sisters there had heard they were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. Now, before you picture the apostle Paul and Luke uh, chugging a beer together at the three taverns, the word tavern in the Greek means in, okay? So don't email me later in the week angry. All right, here we go. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to protect him. The witness of God. Again, he's, he's there to bring encouragement and guidance to Paul. Let me summarize some verses. Paul's then called before the, the, the local Jewish leaders. He told them that he was innocent and had been arrested and wanted to appeal to Caesar. And it says in verse 20, for this reason I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel. Everybody say hope of Israel. It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. He's going, man, This Jesus who died and rose again, he is your hope. He's everybody's hope. He's the hope of the world. He's the hope of Israel. The Jews say they want to continue to hear what he says. And it says in verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them. Everybody say witness to them. Think about that. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Let's just bring us into the situation for a minute. Don't you think, and I'm not trying to put any of us down, I'll include myself in this. If this verse were written about us, don't you think, instead of saying that he witnessed with them and tried to convince them of the kingdom of God from morning till evening, it might just say, and Doug complained about all the hardship he's been going through from morning until evening. And he told us all of his woes and all the things that happened to his stupid sneakers at Hershey Park right like like all the things that have gone wrong and all of his trials but here is Paul going let me keep telling you about Jesus I'm just going to keep on talking about the king of kings I'm going to keep on letting you know about this savior who came to to to, uh, save and rescue us all that is so powerful who is God calling you to reach in the midst of your storm or imprisonment what would that look like for you Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. I love that verse because if any of you guys earlier in the series put on the shoe that said, I'm gonna go be a bold witness, and then you tried to share your faith and it didn't go well, and you took that shoe off, put it back on because we were just told some believed and some didn't, and that didn't stop Paul. Some will listen, some will not. Some will come to church on Easter and Christmas and, and, and put their trust in Jesus, and some will refuse our invitation time after time, but don't let that stop us. Let's keep sharing our faith. Then Paul says, the prophet Isaiah said some of the Jews would believe, some wouldn't, but the Gentiles would listen. Verse 30, last two verses in the book. Here we go. Let's wrap it up. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So even under house arrest, Paul is continuing to share the message of hope with all who need it. Some of you guys might have some thoughts here at the end of the book of Acts. Like, wait a minute, it's over? Like, we didn't get, even get to see Paul go to talk to Caesar. Like, how does that all go? Well, it does happen, but the Bible doesn't tell us how that all plays out. What we do know about Paul is that he continues on in strong ministry. He reaches many for Jesus, and eventually he gives his life saying that Jesus was alive, which means he really believed it. He really believed Jesus was back from the dead. 
or he never would have given his life. And remember, he had an encounter with Jesus. And remember, he knew all of the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus placed in the grave saying they were, that, that they had seen him alive again. And so Paul is an incredibly credible witness. But some of you guys still, you might say, okay, even so, Doug, it just seems like it's unfinished. I wish there was an Acts 29, right? So my pastor growing up, he had a theory about that. My pastor used to say, that he thinks Acts 29 is us. We get to keep on living out the story of the church, empowered by the Spirit, bringing the message of hope to Jesus. And of course, I'm not saying we're going to try to add anything to the Word of God. There's not an actual Acts 29. But, but every Christian who's lived since this time is a part of the Acts 29 era where we continue to point people to the hope of Jesus in powerful and amazing ways. I think the key is the withlessness of God. We have to have that because that is what changes everything. Our perspective, our joy, our peace, our outlook, and sometimes even our outcome as the storm rages and as the skies are dark. But how does the withlessness of God impact others? He wants to use you mightily in those other people's lives. You're going to work with somebody this week and the storm is raging in their life. You're going to go to school with somebody this week and their, their night is really dark They've lost all natural hope. And right, even if you're in the middle of your own storm, like Paul was, right? It's not like Paul was like on, on you know, a carnival cruise line next to this ship, right? He's on the same ship that's going down. And yet he's still right in the middle of his own storm, pointing others to the hope of Jesus because he's the factor that changes everything. Next week, we have something special planned. The week after, we're gonna start a new series called Sovereign God. And we're gonna look at the book of Daniel leading up to Christmas. And I'm really excited to jump into that and get going. I think it's going to really encourage us and challenge us in our faith. But I just want to close with letting you guys know that there's something so powerful that can happen right in our storm as we trust God, as we look to him, and as we're used by him. So recently, if you guys have been around the church for the last few years, um, you probably were here when I did this series, what I learned from almost dying after my near-death experience in the hospital and all that. And just recently, I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but I started just kind of writing a book about it and putting it all together just for fun, see what happens, see if God could use it somehow. And I'm telling the story and I'm kind of taking some of the content from that series and, and putting it into book form. But in between each chapter, I've been putting the social media posts that we made and really mainly Kelly made as my story was kind of unfolding, you know? And so I came upon one of them and I just wanted to read it to you. And uh, this was written on December 27th, 2020. I was at my worst. I was on ECMO life support. I was, uh, Kelly had been told to come say goodbye to me. And so I'd been on ECMO life support for several days. And some of you guys are like, here's Doug bragging about his miracle again. But this was written before the miracle. This was written when the storm was raging and the dark was night and all natural hope was lost. And here's what Kelly said, and I'll try to get through this. She said, a sweet friend from the hospital brought me Doug's wedding ring today. His fingers had been a bit swollen and they didn't want to have to end up cutting it off. In 20 years of marriage, Doug almost never took off his ring. He would give it an occasional spin on the table, but that was it. At first I stopped holding it. I'm thinking of all it stands for. There was an ache in my heart so deep to be with him that I cannot put into words. I fell to my knees pleading for God to bring him home. God in his faithfulness reminded me, my heart, of this incredible truth. 
that because of Jesus, there is a greater covenant that is Doug's. A new covenant with greater promises. I'm grabbing a hold of those promises and trusting that this sovereign God who created the heavens and the earth holds my husband's life in his mighty hands. As I hold Doug's ring in my hand and plead for his life, Christ holds his breath and intercedes on his behalf. Thank you all so much for praying and holding the arms of our family up. To say we are grateful does not even begin to express it. Please keep praying for complete restoration of his lungs. We're beginning to see the hand of God move on Doug's behalf. And then she quoted from the old hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. And to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. And I would argue that the withlessness of God was certainly there for a miracle, but that was written before. The withlessness of God was there in the worst moment when there was no hope. And it was sustaining my wife and my family, and it was sustaining our church, and without me even knowing it, it was sustaining me. And you know what? Had I not gotten the miracle, had I not been here today, confident that the withlessness of God would have carried my family through that because he's still with them and he's still with us and he stands with you. Let's pray. So Lord God, we just come to you today and we're all in different storms and maybe some of us going through similar storms, but we thank you that you're with us, Lord. Thank you that we're not alone. You stand by us. Your Holy Spirit's in us. And God, in my story, I got the miracle. Some of the stories here in the room that hasn't happened yet or it didn't happen. And yet you're with us. God, we've all prayed for things that didn't pan out the way we want. We've all walked through pain and hardship and disappointment and difficulty. And yet we, we look back to Paul and we see you're with him. We see how miraculously you use him how he prays for the family of his enemy, how he points people repeatedly to Jesus, how he just won't stop because you've changed his life. You are that factor that changes everything. We just invite you into our storms today. We invite you into our dark skies. We invite you into those situations where all hope is lost. And God, we do pray for the miracles. Of course we do. But God, most we pray that we would see and experience and know that you are with us. Jesus, we look back a couple thousand years and we see you're with us because you came and died on the cross. We see that you have not been repelled by our sin, been repelled by humanity, but you've come to walk as one of us and to die for us, to raise from the dead and to be our hope, our living hope. We thank you, God. If you're a follower of Jesus today, can I just ask you to invite God into some specific storms? And can I also ask you to pray that he'd use you in the midst of it? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, I encourage you to pray with me now. Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you that you want to be with me. Thank you that you want to place your spirit in my life. 
and do amazing things. So I invite you to be my Savior and my God. And like Paul said, that I would belong to you. Thank you for this amazing gift. In your name I pray, amen. We're going to stand together and worship as we close the service today. And if anybody needs prayer for anything, I encourage you to come forward. If you or somebody you know is in the middle of a horrible storm, lost all natural hope, I encourage you to come up and pray with myself and the other team members. And I I say this once in a while, but I encourage you to come and pray. And I'm happy to pray with you, but please pray with our other team members as well because uh, these are the people I go to when I need prayer. So I'm happy to pray with you, but we got really gifted um, lovers of Jesus up here who would love to come around you and comfort you and pray with you as you walk through stuff.